When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm interviewing Lindsay Matthews Cantu, CEO of BirthFit and host of the BirthFit podcast. Hello, y'all. I am excited to interview Lindsay Cantu for the second time on the show. She is CEO of BirthFit and the BirthFit podcast. And she and I discussed the differences between illness and wellness models in healthcare and birthing, why home birth is up in the past year by 20%, and how to take back our healthcare. We talk about defining values, understanding suggestibility and propaganda, I hope you enjoy Lindsay as much as I do. You can find her at birthfit.com. She has coaches all over the world, and I'm excited to share her with you again. On to the interview. Welcome. I am sitting here with Lindsay Matthews Cantu, who I've had on before when she was just Lindsay Matthews. So congratulations on your new marriage, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Nikki. Yay. You're so welcome. Well, when I had you before, I was so excited and I definitely wanted to have you again. (laughs) I know. So you are the CEO of BirthFit. So your whole thing is about women being strong and empowered around the birthing process and after, correct? Yes. Yeah. Through From conception throughout parenthood. So we cover the whole motherhood transition. Yay. So I thought today we would talk a little bit about how brave you've been these last couple years, especially I've been watching you for inspiration. Oh, geez. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You talk about a lot of stuff that's kind of on the no-no list to talk about. I'm I'm impressed by it. (laughs) I was trying to think about when's the last time we chatted and it was definitely, uh, I say Divock just in case censorship happens. Okay. Um, but if you look at that backwards, then you know what I'm talking about. Okay. All um, right. <laughs> um, but it was definitely, yeah, pre the world changing and shifting. So lots of things to catch up on, huh? So is that a good place to jump in? Like what's going yeah. on kind of in the in the natural birthing world? Oh man. Okay. So that actually, I think that's a really brilliant place to start. You know, when 
the pandemic, I call it the pandemic shenanigans. When that all started in March of 2020, you know, everything shut down. Everybody's lives basically halted for two weeks because they were like two weeks to slow the curve. And so we're like, okay, let's, we'll, we'll honor this. We'll do this. And before that I was training people in, in person live and doing all the online program stuff. And I was about to start uh, working as an associate at a chiropractic office in Austin. And literally when this started, like all like my clients, I had one client in particular, I was like, Hey, I'm going to just pause on coming in um, for live training sessions for two weeks. Cause her husband traveled a lot. I was like, okay, what's going on. And she told me, and then I started looking into it. And then when the two weeks of shut down, everything happened, I did a lot of research and I did a lot of research because I have a history of asthma and I grew up, you know, standard American with being an asthmatic kid. And so I was loaded with drugs. I was loaded with antibiotics, allergy shots, everything. And I've done a lot for my health and really dug deep, you know, just like I've dug deep into the birth world, but I dug deep into my own health and um, getting below the surface of things because I did not want to be on medication my whole life. So I was like, well, if this is a respiratory thing, I really need to be careful and mindful of what's going on. Well, in two weeks, I, I felt like I was like, I got to the bottom of it. I'm going back to work. This is, you know, this is basically made up out of a, a lab in China. And, you know, being that early on in my, in the pandemic, my friends thought I was crazy. Uh, I was like, y'all, I'm your friend that has a BS in biology. I was pre-med. I ended up going to chiropractic school. That was the route I chose. A lot of my research has been in, you know, perinatal pediatrics and living a more, say, in tune with the earth lifestyle. And I've been somebody that's been questioning the pharmaceutical industry since 2006 for me. This is not something that just happened in the last two weeks or, you know, to during the slow, slow the curve week. And so once I like started getting my research sorted and confident in where I stood, I was like, oh, this is a big political play. This is a big power play. And I can guarantee we're not going to see businesses reopen or even cities drop these mandates at the two week mark, like they said. And sure enough, you know, here we are, March 2022, and we're two years into this pandemic, pandemic shenanigans. And we still have states like California with declared emergency, even though they've had a Super Bowl and they've had big celebrity events. We have states that are completely open and free, like Florida and Texas, or then you have states like. New York, where you got to go everywhere with a vaccine card. And, you know, that's just, that's just segregation. But um, going back to your question about birth, I think this whole thing that has happened has really amplified kind of the mess and the trauma that has existed within the birth world before COVID was even on the scene, before this pandemic was even here. And it's, you know, a system, the birth medical industrial complex, as some people call it, is, you know, very much a for-profit system. And it's been designed that way. It's not broken. It's not a broken system. It was designed that way. And so I think, you know, one of the things that I saw early on was women 
in the hospital setting, rules and regulations started changing right away and people were being forced to labor and birth in a mask. They were being forced to labor and birth alone, not even with their significant other, their husband or their boyfriend, partner, whoever. And forget about a doula being present, you know, that was out the window. And so when people were catching on to these rules and regulations that were immediately implemented overnight in a hospital, they opted out. And many people went to home birth or out of hospital birth, you know, birth center births that were very mom and baby friendly. And I was just reading a stat. I think it was between 2019 and 2020, the out of hospital birth percentage rose 20%, which is the most it's ever risen in a single year. Wow. Which is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So people are waking up. What's coming up for me is like you make a very good point that for those of us that have brought maybe more of a skeptical eye to what's happened the last couple of years, it wasn't about the last couple of years. Like yeah. I come at it from an addiction background and I can say the same thing about addiction that by design addiction is big business and making, mm. making you think things that, that you need or, or that you don't really need. Like, so they addict you on the one hand and then want to treat you on the other hand. Yeah. When I was going through school, I was a French quarter bartender and I had probably 10 people, eight to 10 people over time say, Nikki, why are you bartending? Why aren't you in pharmaceutical sales? (laughs) And it boggled my mind. I was like, I'm tending bar and I want to be a counselor. That's why I'm going, why would I sell pharmaceuticals on what planet do I know what I'm doing selling pharmaceuticals? Why is that getting encouraged? And then (laughs) early in my career, I saw them push to make addiction a disease. Mm. And the reason that addiction had to be a disease was because you can't medicate it if it's not a disease. So I think, Mm. I think with birth, it's very similar. So they take these things that really we can handle and with our minds and with our bodies and make them medical things, make them medical problems, create this need. Mm -hmm. I don't think the average American understands that we have two very, very different ways of looking at health. We have wellness model, which is where you and I come from, but most of the medical community is an illness model which means you must be sick. You must be seen as sick and ill, broken, and something is problematic and wrong with you instead of where your strength might be. One of the most Mm -hmm. profound moments of me in the whole pandemic was you inviting me into the birth fit group to talk to mothers. And that was very early on. And I remember crying in the group because they were terrified. All of a sudden, their birthing plans were thrown out the window. And some of those women were giving birth within days, having to figure out how to do that alone. (sighs) Yeah. And and you brought me in to kind of coach them on how to be brave in that moment. It it broke my heart. Yeah. I will say the whole first year, like the heartbreaking thing was hearing moms say that they got robbed of their birth experience or their postpartum experience. And there's like, they didn't know who to blame. And like you said, they, maybe they didn't have this lens yet, but they probably have it now. Cause maybe that experience happened, you know, as a learning lesson for them mm-hmm. or, you know, something, but you know, they were so crushed and just looking for some external source to blame that ruined their whole birth experience. And they wanted to blame COVID. They wanted to blame the government. They wanted to blame whatever. And 
you know, I had somebody say, I wish I would have just started down the path of an out of hospital birth initially. Um, and, you know, that kind of dawned on me, but because so many of our women do start on that, that path, but um, so many of them don't. And I think, you know, all of us are in our own journeys and accepting that we're in our own journeys and our own healing timelines and whatever lessons come along, that's our unique lesson for us to learn and adapt with and evolve with. Going back to birth fit, I think that's one of my big goals is to remind women that you've had the power inside of you this whole time and the power to um, birth your baby, the power to be the parent you aspire to be, the power to be the medicine woman in your family, the nourisher in your family. You know, like you were talking about, I think so much of our culture and society, we have to pathologize things in order to put a label on it, in order to then put a bandaid on it to like, fix the problem. And all of that is external. None of that is teaching the person, you know, Hey, you have these tools inside of you. Let's try using them. Let's try working with them. Maybe breath work works for you. Maybe it doesn't, maybe movement works better for you, but yeah, I think all of it is revealing that the power is within us, but the the systems by which we are addicted to or tied to, they're going to try to remind us or teach us or program us that the solutions are outside of us. And I think that's, that could not be further from the truth. Cause a lot of women that choose natural birth get picked apart by family members, by society. Fear tends to be the biggest tool and fear is used to shut people down to mm-hmm. shut off these options and to have these natural options seen as almost quacky. Yes. Can you speak to that a little bit yes. about how yes. you, how you show up for that, how you fight that? Oh, yeah. Well, I think, you know, this is where education comes in and I forget who says this quote, you know, like education is powerful. Like that is a tool. I know there's tons of quotes on that, but when you start to arm yourself with education then these the subject matter seems less daunting. It seems less, you know, out here like a big, big, big thing out there. And um, when you start to know more about a particular subject matter or the actual stats that go into something or more about the subject, then it becomes more real and approachable and familiar rather than this far out thing. And you have to have this white coat. God savior complex with the doctors and the, you know, the doctors in the medical industrial complex, which, you know, nothing, let me say this, nothing against doctors or, you know, anybody that works in the Western medicine world, because I know tons of like tons of amazing nurses and MDs and functional med MDs, some great OBs and they get in it for the right reasons, but the school's long. It's very programming ish and they come out just beaten down. And, you know, I I think they're riddled with debt and they're in the system and they're locked in, you know, some of them do wake up and step outside the system. And I think we'll see more and more of that lately, but going back to your question, I think the more you educate yourself initially, 
the better. And it's not surface level education like Google. If we know anything now, we know that Google primes us for what we need to know. So step outside the Google world and DuckDuckGo it or use a different search engine and see what comes up. So I'll read um, this. I totally made this post the other day, and I think it's relevant because it talks about the Flexner report. And the Flexner report is kind of what changed the course of medical schools, medicine, and our country. And if you look it up, you can put Flexner report of 1910. I'll just read this because this is totally relevant. In the early 1900s, Rockefeller Foundation and Carnegie Institute commissioned Abraham Flexner, who's the brother of Simon Flexner and head of Rockefeller Institute for Medical Research. They commissioned Abraham Flexner to write a report on the current happenings of medical schools and medical training in the U.S. in order to determine which schools should stay open and which were no longer accredited. So healing modalities in schools that could not be backed up by science, and I say that in quotations because we're still using the word science like that, schools that could not be backed up by science or non-scientific medicine at the time were labeled quackery, and that was the word they used, quackery, forced to close or join a science-backed school. So the aim of the Flexner Report was to standardize the field of medicine to determine what training a doctor should do and to eliminate alternative healers and doctors. So in my opinion, like this was the birth of the medical pharmaceutical industrial complex. And that's when we saw holistic healing sort of go underground. So that meant schools that closed included African-American colleges of medicine, colleges of medicine for women, homeopathy, massage, naturopathy. That's where chiropractic was labeled quackery. Any modalities that prescribed natural lifestyle remedies. So if doctors were saying, try this food, this real food, this plant, you know, all of that just Nope, nope, nope. All of which were actually traditional medicine and many of which have been around for hundreds of years. And then I'll add to this to further cement the change in medicine in the U.S., George Simmons and Morris Fishbein, both editors of the Journal of American and Medical Association and heads of the AMA, utilized the journal, so media, we're familiar with media again, to ridicule and label alternative doctors and healers as quacks. And again, that word was used. Simmons was never a doctor and Fishbein studied at a medical school, but never completed his internship or received a diploma, nor practiced a day in his life. Simmons and Fishbein had a deal with pharmaceutical companies to make substantial donations in return for the AMA of approval of certain drugs. They also bought stock in certain drugs prior to the approval of their release. And so here we are, you know, a hundred years later, and that same playbook is being used. Like you see people in the news, like Bill Gates or um, even Fauci, like Bill Gates is not a medical doctor. And I don't know why people put him on the news as like, let's listen to him. Fauci does not practice. And if you look at his history, he's been so tied with the corruption of HIV and AIDS. Uh, There's a great book that just came out called The Real Anthony Fauci. I think um, I'm reading it. 
Mm-hmm. It's I'm just a hot reading. mess. Like, <laughs> well, it's as simple as looking at the health of our country and felt she's Ooh. been in charge for decades, and we are unhealthier than ever. So, especially I've especially our kids, especially our kids. So, I am, yeah. I am, I am really shocked. I mean, as much as I'm not shocked, I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, that that isn't more it. of a a duh kind of moment that we are unhealthy, more unhealthy than really we've ever been. And this is because of modern science when we really should be healthier than ever based on what we know physically with me being in mental health. I look around and go, we've known for at least 50 years, more like 70 years, kind of what basically works for mental yeah. health. We just don't yeah. do it. We don't value it. it. We don't make money. You can't, it prescribe. doesn't make money. And, yeah. and the things that would be proven by science, there's no monetary incentive to study them. So we're not going to get studies that, that prove methodologies or, or things that really, really work unless it has that big pharma bang for the buck behind it. And that's a really scary conundrum that we're in. Oh, it's, it's insane because our politicians, our corporations, they're all puppets on a string. And here's big pharma up here, just, you know, playing with the pokeo strings or the doll strings or whatever you want to call it. But I think when people start like what your question earlier is going back to education, when I think people visit history And they see like, oh, okay, you know, maybe vaccines weren't the savior that we thought they were, or, you know, maybe red meat wasn't so bad. Maybe butter is actually really good for you, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. They start visiting the political side of history and seeing, oh my God. And like, for me, what came up initially, and like, like I said, I've been on this journey since 2006. So I've gone through like the pissed off, the angry, the oh my God, I wish I was born a different way. You know, like mm-hmm. if I would have been breastfed, I would be so healthy, you know, that, that kind of grieving. I had to go through all of that in order to like approach it. You know, I don't want to say with a calm mind, but like from a place of like, okay, we can make change now with every choice we make. Like I'm going to make a choice later today by picking up you know, raw milk from a local farmer. I'm going to make a choice by, instead of going to the the OB for my well woman, I'm going to go to the midwife that's in the next town over who does well woman exams. You know, and I think it's talking and taking action and speaking with our dollars, even if, you know, it's 50 bucks or 99 bucks or whatever here and there, but it's, it makes a difference, you know, as each of those brave women that stepped out of the hospital in 2020, we can see the percentage went up 20% for out of hospital births where it used to be less than 5%. And the rate of out of hospital births is still very low in the grand scheme of things, but shift is definitely happening. And I think COVID was a blessing for that dare I say that out loud. Um, <laughs> can you speak, can you speak more to that? Like what may help my listeners understand what makes a home birth safe? Yeah. Oh, that's so great. So let me paint the picture of over 98% of our birth in general happens in the hospital. And we have the highest, if not the highest, one of the highest infant and maternal mortality rates out of industrialized countries. Yeah, that's terrible. In, in, <laughs> so, in, in 2022, we're talking about like in modern age, we have in America, yeah. this worst 
mortality, right? I think it's us in Brazil, right? Because we do the most yeah. C-sections. Brazil has the highest C-section rate in the world right now. Um, they also have the highest like plastic surgery rate and yep. cosmetic surgery. So I'm not surprised by that. So if you just step back and you look at that stat, like, okay, or those numbers, birth majority of 98% happens in the hospital. And we have the worst maternal mortality rates and infant mortality rates out of industrialized countries. Why are we not examining what's going on in the hospital? And why are we saying the narrative is home birth is unsafe? That could not be further from the truth. These stats, and I just like, just pulled these up yesterday too. So this is from I think beautiful one midwifery, she posted these stats, but home birth stats in North America, 89% of births completed at home, 93% vaginal rate, vaginal birth rate, 87% vaginal birth rate after cesarean. So that's a VBAC. And then a 97% breastfeeding success rate. Then you go to the average hospital stats. They have a 36% induction rate. They have a 79% epidural rate. They have a 33% cesarean rate and only 13% vaginal birth after cesarean. So just that number alone tells you, or at least tells me, you know, when I show up as a doula for an out of hospital birth and especially a home birth, I know that we're all there to serve the mom and we believe in the power of birth. When I go to a hospital birth, it's like I have a shield on and I got, you know, my pistol in my pocket, but I'm ready to like, I'm, I'm a little like ready to fight <laughs> because I don't know okay. whose agenda we're playing on or whose narrative, like whose opinion, because I've been in so many situations in the hospital where we're not on the same page and we're not there. Like the other people in the room have a different agenda and they're not there for that birthing mother. And so that stat of VBAC, 13% VBAC in the hospital versus an 87% VBAC at home, like that's that's huge. Um, and just so telling, I think, and the belief that, um, okay, do we believe in the power of the woman's body? Yes. Do we believe over here? Do we believe in, the, no, we don't, we doubt it. We're not even gonna let them have a trial of labor, you know, in the hospital setting. So I think- you know, it's one of those things where the narrative gets pushed and, you know, it's been just like anything else, like homeopathy, acupuncture, chiropractic, any, any of these natural mod uh, modalities. It's like, oh, that doesn't work. That's quackery where birth is quite simple and effective and direct. If you just let it run its course, if you let like remove all interference, remove all intervention and just observe. And then if you need to step in, step in, because more than likely, if there's an emergency, you're going to have all these yellow flags before you're going to have a spike in temperature. You're going to have a, an elevated blood pressure before it gets to a true 911 emergency. Um, we seem to have this assumption that it goes from zero to 100 oh immediately in birth when very oh. few things go zero to 100. Yeah. And it's not that. And I think we think that because of Hollywood and the movies that mm -hmm. we've been programmed by. And 
we see and, you know, from such a young age, like, oh my God, our water broke. We got to get to the hospital. And then it's all yelling, all cursing. You did this to me, speak like yelling to her husband. And it's just, you know, complete other chaos when it doesn't have to be. So I think like going back to the education piece of it, when you actually dig in and you like look at the, at the numbers, and especially if you're somebody that wants to have a VBAC and going for a VBAC, you know, there's certain docs that, oh my God, will say, I don't do VBACs because of uterine, the potential for uterine rupture. Really, like that's such a small stat. Like, why would you not give the, the woman the choice? Or if you don't want to do it, refer her to somebody that does, you know, have, have a little like compassion in your heart and actually do the research. And if you're, if you're not willing to do it, send her to a colleague that will. And I think the, you know, that's just missing because there's a lot of ego and narcissism that exists in yes. the medical world. It, it takes a lot of integrity. Like I often say to my clients, like I might not be the right person for you, but mm-hmm. let's get you to the right person if I'm not it. But you, you have to have mm-hmm. a certain amount of humbleness in you and recognize yes. I'm not for everyone and, and someone else might be better for someone. And if you're really a practitioner with respect for the human being that's in front of you, I, I, without an ego problem, I think you can do that very, very easily, but that's also not taught. The ego problems are taught instead of this humble, grounded, let's really serve. This is a service field. Yes. This is really a service field. And I, I think we forget that in medicine. We sort of put the doctor up on a pedestal instead of going, wait, actually my health and wellness, let's put that up on the pedestal and let's serve that. And if we served that more, I think a lot of this would take care of itself. We're also, I I think post COVID, we really have entered this realm where you're not allowed to ask questions. Oh my God. And that's that's the opposite of where we should be going. We should be able to talk about yeah. everything. I have been so shocked to witness leaders. I mean, even like Brene Brown did it recently, getting oh behind God. misinformation. And when I look at my my little woo-woo community, I think crystals, Reiki, chiropractic, astrology, um, energy work, uh, tarot, like all these things that we might not love, or we might like 5% of it in our life or a little sprinkling. All of these things can be seen as misinformation. What I'm talking about in terms of empathy and being an empath, other people could see as misinformation. And so to see people in in our healing communities who are thought leaders get behind this idea of misinformation instead of we really need to allow all information and it's up to each individual to wade through. And I'm, and I'm, I'm sorry, it's so messy right now to wade through, but that doesn't change the reality that it's each of our personal responsibilities Yes, to not only wade through it, but to connect with healers and wellness practitioners that we can trust because we see them in their integrity as they wade through. I think that's going to be more and more and more important that we align with not just people that create echo chambers, but that we align with people that are really questioning all of the narratives. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. 
You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science Podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. Yeah, it's been freaking baffling (laughs) to watch this. And like you said, with Brene Brown, like I quote her definition of true belonging in our birth fit book. And I went back and read this and I was like, should I remove this? Like, are we, are we joking right now? Like what's going on? It's unreal. You know, like you said it, the responsibility and with freedom comes great responsibility. And I don't know if people are ready to accept that. And there's a Cairo colleague of mine that I love, and he's been pretty vocal on social media. His name's Dr. Raymond Nichols. But one of the famous, like his taglines is your health is your responsibility. And I think that's so hard for people to own and to admit and like to own is like the best, the best word I can use there because they've been programmed that everything that fixes, and I say fixes like their health with a bandaid is external, you know, and all of external and even through whatever um, religion, maybe they identify with, you know, especially if you're, if you grew up in America and you're going to church, Catholic church, Lutheran church, whatever, all of that's outside of you, you know, like how God is on the altar of my soul. Like I choose for God to be on the altar of my soul. That's inside of me. So like, I don't blame the people when they're having a freaking meltdown of, Oh my God, I can't take responsibility. They should be doing this shit because they've been, we've all been programmed to believe that the answers are outside of us. And so it's really, you know, I, I tell people the biggest awakening I had was whenever I hit, you know, my personal rock bottom and what did I have to do? I had to like take ownership for where I was. And that's freaking hard. Like you got to own, own your debt, own your health, own your part in the shitty relationship, own your, own your role in whatever, like business school, whatever you're in. And so that's or like own, or practice. own what or own what authority figures you've listened to and followed only yes. to find out, ooh, maybe they weren't so helpful. <laughs> yes, maybe I got played. Yes. <laughs> well, there's a lot of codependency out there in the atmosphere. And then there's a lot of emotional blackmail these last few years mm. taught directly. That's broken yeah. my heart because yeah. all of my messaging is about personal responsibility and boundaries. <sighs> and to see this message out in, in the public from our government, from our thought leaders who are believing our government that, you know, if, if you don't do these certain things, you want other people to die. If you, the fact that the narrative has turned into, if you're not vaccinated, you're racist to to, (laughs) to hear those things put together as illogical as that is on paper to just have that in the atmosphere. I don't think the average person understands propaganda, mind Mm. control, how, 
two thirds of the population is what we call highly suggestible and hypnosis. Mm-hmm. So we, we have really been hypnotized. There's even some information that says the smarter that we are, the more likely we are to be suggestible. Yeah. And often we, we carry this conscious idea that, well, no, I'm smart enough. Nobody can get one over on me. And we don't understand the power of what happens to our subconscious mind when yeah. someone's pumping fear, 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 fear around birth, around mm. medicine, yeah, around disease, old disease, new disease, around yeah. all of it. And so this radical personal responsibility, I, I think it is the way out of chaos, out of insanity. And it really is the way to start to empower yourself to own your choices and Mm -hmm. owning the mistakes, owning the missteps is part of it. I think what happens in birth a lot of times is women are generally having births when they're young. Mm -hmm. And it's when we get older, I I know for me, I'm a child-free woman, but I always thought I'd have about six kids. I thought I'd be a midwife. Like I, like I went this whole path of I'm so passionate about birth and babies and child development and awesome. parents healing their inner child so that they break yeah. the cycles. It, there's just so much there to empower the self. But in true empowerment, we're we're owning all of it, and this yeah. messaging from from our government to not own it yeah. that it's somebody else's fault if I get sick yeah. is such a destructive message. It, it feels like it pushes against all of my work in a two steps forward, like two steps back kind of way that has just felt so heavy. Yeah. I'm like, it does. It does push back. It, yeah. The radical responsibility. I, I agree. I think it's the way out. I'll share that, you know, whenever I start working with women, especially as a doula client and their partners, husbands, whoever they're birthing with, we get really clear on their values. And I think that's, you know, for me, I found that that is kind of like a good starting place, especially if, you know, somebody's never, they've never gone through any type of healthcare crisis or surgery of any kind, like, like birth is going to be their first kind of dance with the medical system. And there's a lot of people out there like that, like generally, like people are like, oh, I'm, I'm healthy. I've never, I've very rarely go to the doctor, whatever. And it baffles me that they start in, like they want to give birth in the hospital, but it's, you know, it's the programming. And so we start with values and identifying their values, both individually and as a couple, and then, you know, go through scenarios of, you know, where values could be butted up against like Mm -hmm. inside the hospital or wherever, or questioned or, um, you know, how would you handle this in this situation? Or what are your, y'all discuss amongst each other? What would be, what are, would be your play here? And, you know, if it's, if they're like totally stuck, usually people get totally stuck, especially in the beginning. I'm like, well, you know, maybe we think about a different option. Have you interviewed a midwife? Have you interviewed an OB with, you know, a way better cesarean rate? Um, cause it doesn't sound like this OB is supportive of, you know, your values or, um, your birth preferences. So I feel like that's a good starting place with people. Um, the other thing I was going to add that you made me think of was, you know, I used to teach hypnobirthing years ago when I first started in the birth world. And the biggest thing with, cause it's comes off of hypnosis and it comes off NLP and mm-hmm. neuro linguistic programming. And 
the biggest thing is like creating these anchors in people's minds and brains. And so in hypnobirthing, they give you these scripts and, you know, you introduce them in the class and then the couples are supposed to do them, you know, as homework. And we keep revisiting them so that they're, there's an, they're anchored in their, their brain. And that when you hear the countdown, let's say the countdown, every time, you know, there's one script that's like, every time you hit the tens or, you know, 20 or 30, like you relax into a deeper relaxation, even more probably said that backwards, but it's been a while, but they're anchored in your mind. So if you think about that and, you know, how many times we see a pharmaceutical commercial on TV or how many times we see, you know, just talking about birth, a negative birth experience or a chaotic birth experience in a movie, or how many times we've seen a movie where they're like, especially movies in the last like five to 10 years, how many times there's been a catastrophic outbreak or apocalypse in a movie? Like all of that is just getting anchored into our mind even more. And we become familiar with it. And, you know, it's like I said, with education, it, if some, if we're familiar with it and it's not that far off, then we start to become, you know, more desensitized to it. Think about like sex on TV and, you know, pornography. My husband had a TV on this weekend. He was like vacuuming and I was working in the office. So we kept, you know, going back and forth. But every time I would come in, there was a different sex scene on the TV. And I was like, what are you watching? (laughs) He was like, I don't know. This movie came on and I switched it to the other channel and this movie was on. And I was like, geez, people are getting after it on TV on a Saturday. Like what's going on? This is daylight, like daylight on a Saturday. But um, it just becomes so desensitized to negative things, you know, things that we would otherwise question things that, you know, might like birth otherwise would be normal. Like what if all we saw was positive birth scenarios where a woman was, you know, having maybe not an orgasmic experience, but, you know, a team that was supportive of her, she wasn't really yelling. She was moaning. They were supporting her through each contraction Mm -hmm. And they were giving her positive feedback, like, oh, you handled that contraction so well. I know you got the next one. Instead of coming and saying, on a scale of one to 10, what's your pain now? You know, like, (laughs) where's your pain? Where's your pain? Where's your pain? Like taking the focus off pain because pain does have a purpose in this, in this situation. Well, that's another thing we're so disconnected from. A lot of people believe we should never feel any pain. I know. Feel any contrast or conflict, you know, that we shouldn't feel anxiety. Like I'm constantly having to explain to people, the point is not to never have anxiety. You're supposed to feel anxiety in different scenarios and situations. It's right for your body to feel that. Stop trying to eliminate all of it. That's not the goal. Yeah. You're not supposed to be flatlined, right? All, you're you're dead oh if you're God, not yeah. feeling like yeah. But we, yes, we've all grown up. If we're in our we're in our forties, we've all grown up with medical commercials saying, "Oh, do you have anxiety? Do you have anxiety?" <laughs> yeah. I don't, so because we never take a class unless you seek it out later in life on how suggestible am I? What does it do to me to be in? the awareness, the consciousness of scary birth, scary birth, scary birth, take a medication, take a med. Oh, you have restless legs. Take a medication, take a medication, take (laughs) Take a a pill for that. Yeah. A pill, take a pill, take a pill, take a pill. 
And so we're all believing we're never supposed to feel anything uncomfortable yeah, be- because of so medicine. True. And it's so opposite. So I, I think those anchors that we have now, whether we realize it or not, no matter how much we've tried to distance from it, are anger and fear. Mm-hmm. Just from our politics the last few years. Oh my God. Yeah. So between politics and the pandemic and them combined, we have just anchored fear and anger. And fear and anger don't just disappear when the situation changes. They 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 go somewhere, they turn into something else. And so I, I think these next few years are going to be really, really interesting to see where does this fear and anger go? Yeah. What are people going to do with it? What kind mm-hmm. of awakening is going to come? Out, out of more people like you and I having this conversation yes. right now, because the safest people out there to learn from, in my opinion, will never tell you exactly what is right. They will give you the information to empower you to make the best decision for yourself. They mm-hmm. won't go into this authority figure. I know better than you. I am the yeah. authority. They'll just go, hey, look at this and look at this and look at this. What do you think? They will mm-hmm. empower you to step into your critical thinking, not take your critical thinking from you and give you the answer yeah. for you. That's how cults work. <laughs> yes, 100%. Yeah. That's how dark religions work. Like so yeah. we have to get above and beyond that to be able to think for ourselves and step into that radical mm-hmm. personal responsibility. And mm-hmm. when we do that, I believe that's as free as we're going to be able to feel. Totally. I love that. I love what you just said. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I know that you have to run. Is there anything yeah. else that you want to say? Anything that you want to promote? How can people find you? Where's a good starting point with BirthFit? Oh, I would say birthfit.com. And from there, there's blogs, there's programs, there's, we have a podcast that I just relaunched. So I'll have to get you on there in the future. Yay, I took off a whole year. I was like, I can't, last year was too much. I was impressed <laughs> so, by that. I was like, oh, what an idea. Yeah. This was, these last two years have been the hardest for me with the podcast. Like it has been just hard. You're unsure of like, oh, am I going to get deplatformed? And I get like, I'm, and for me, I'm like, okay, I'm nobody, but if they're messing with people like Rogan and, mm-hmm. you know, every, I get shadow banned on Instagram every couple of months. Like mm-hmm. what the hell? <laughs> That's part, part of why I follow you. It inspires me to, to <laughs> not, to not lose my voice and to, to step up for, for what I think is right and healthy and clear and what will actually really empower people. I want people to know that there are birth fit instructors all over the world. So you can engage birth fit as a woman looking to have a baby. You can engage birth fit as a pregnant woman. You can engage birth fit and learn how to do what Lindsay does Yeah, and support yeah. other women through their birth. So however you feel called, if you resonate with Lindsay and what we've talked about today, please go check her out birthfit.com. Thank you. You are welcome. Thank you for doing this again with me, Lindsay. Thank you. I look forward to chatting in the future again, for sure. Yay. I look forward to it too. All right. Light and love. Bye-bye. Find out more information about Lindsay and her company, BirthFit at birthfit.com. If you want to participate in our next live stream Q&A, where I answer questions and discuss on a monthly topic, you can come to patreon.com backslash emotional badass. Right now, there is a poll about what the next topic would be. So come hang out, come vote, and I'll see you at the next live stream. I'm an emotional badass. 
Lindsay's an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets mindful. Light and love. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.